Welcome to Level with Emily Reese. We don't have a composer on this week's show. We are instead going to talk with a man named Frederick Heath Wren. And we learned about Frederick because of a quiz show that we like to watch. It's called Only Connect. It's a British show. And we saw Frederick in the 10th season of this show, which uh, has 13 altogether. We were so tickled with Frederick and his two teammates. They were young when they were on the show, and their knowledge was and is just mind-blowing. These guys knew so much stuff, and they did so well in this quiz show, which allows people to come back if they win, well, or if they lose. That's kind of a confusing part of the show. But nonetheless, they were on that season a number of times, so we got to see them, you know, compete in this quiz show, and we're really impressed with them. So kind of on a lark, I just reached out to Frederick on Twitter and said, hey, would you be on our show to tell us about this game that we love to watch? And he graciously agreed. So I talked with Frederick about Only Connect. He'll explain to you a little bit about the game itself, and we talk about him as well. Frederick, as you'll learn, is a music lover, so we went ahead and had him do a five songs segment for us as well. And we're going to include that in this show to give you a little sense of what that segment is like. Uh, Our five song segments are normally available for patrons only. Only Connect is a a British quiz show. as with a lot of them, it's not a competition for prize money. It's uh, a competition for a small glass trophy, but the winning is supposed to be its own reward, or participating is supposed to be its own reward. Um, the conceit of the show is it's about connections. Um, there are essentially general knowledge questions based on identifying the link between items or uh, identifying what the next item in a particular sequence is um, and various other related activities. And it's all about lateral thinking a lot of times, isn't it? Yes, that's right. It's not so much um, you're presented with a list of presidents and have to remember who the next one is. It might be uh, you're presented with things that have one and two and three legs and you have to realize that's the sequence that they're looking for and identify something such as a table that has four legs. Can you give me a sense of... Because you all three looked so young, can you give me a sense <laughs> of uh, if you were one of the youngest teams that's ever been on the show? Or I believe that was the case when we were on. Um, the division tends to be between sort of, I want to say adults, because I still think of people older than me as adults. Um, <laughs> the, the division tends to be between people who have been sort of around the quizzing circuit for a while uh, and therefore now middle-aged, know their stuff. Uh, and teams like us, who's very much fresh-faced students who have watched it on the TV during uh, periods of not having anything else to do mm-hmm. uh, and entered as a result of that. Um, I know quite a few of the people on teams in later series uh, simply because we were all sort of around the same quiz society circuit while we were at university. So how did you get into the show then and how did you guys meet each other? Uh, So we met at university. We were all members of a science fiction society. And uh, it's a show that I've been watching since it started, um, simply because it was was promoted as an interesting niche quiz show, which is always something that gains my interest. Mm -hmm. And it's something that the other people on my team discovered. And it was 
very much their idea that sort of it would be worth actually applying to go on it. This wasn't something that ever crossed my mind. <laughs> um, and it's a good job they did have that idea. Yeah, because you guys made it pretty far. I mean, I don't really feel like we're spoiling anything because this season has been out for a little <laughs> bit now, but um, you made it to the quarters at least, didn't you? That's right, yes. We made it through the uh, the initial group stage. Rather convoluted, they uh, involves playing, I think, three matches and then the best of two. It's something that changes more or less every season. It seems to, yeah, yeah. Uh, the other thing that just is poignant to me is just watching these questions and watching this show that's on television in the UK and knowing that a show like that could never happen here in America. You know, it's it's difficult. It's hard. And I just, I don't think that that would fly on American television. But um, the, the cool thing about you across the pond is you have a lot of quiz shows, don't you? It's a big deal. Though. Yes. So they vary between the sort of, um, I don't quite want to say the intellectual end of the market, but the, the sort of for the love of quiz itself, and uh, such as University Challenge, which itself is based on an American show, I believe, College Bowl. Mm-hmm. Um, I know the idea of, uh, I think that the idea of colleges competing against each other at quiz tournaments is an American one, and it's still something, I think, which happens at a non-televised level quite a lot. Sure. But it also caught on in a big way here as this televised format university challenge um the appeal of them is still i think supposed to be watching them and not knowing the answers as a sort of marveling at people who do know them so i I don't think the the gap in culture between the uk and the us is as as depressing as you make it sound perhaps (laughs) but that is the fun part is not having any idea what these answers are, especially if it's something overtly British. You know, there tends to be a lot of questions about monarchy and kings and who was coronated when and, you know, a lot of that stuff I just have so little knowledge about. But there are American questions too, and we also will not know those answers, and the quizzers will, which is pretty wonderful too. <laughs> yes, I can I can see that there's definitely an appeal to finding out what people know about your own culture. Uh, at the moment, of course, finding out what other people think of British culture is not is not a great time in a political sense for that, mm. unfortunately, which perhaps is something you can relate to. <laughs> but any, any sort of seeing through someone else's eyes what it is they know about you is always a very interesting thing, I think. It is. Well, Frederick, tell me a little bit about you then. What do you do? How long are you still in university? I don't know where you are in your life right now. <laughs> no, I graduated about three years ago and I've been working as a software developer since. Okay. Um, it's always been something I've been interested in. Perhaps unsurprisingly, like a, a number of people in my generation, it was growing up playing video games that made me interested in computer programming. Hmm. Although it's not that industry that I work in now. So what industry do you work in? I work for a startup which sells tickets. So we are adjacent to the music industry, but not part of it. Now, I also learned from the show that you love music. You love pop music. So what, are you a musician at all, or you just appreciate the art? I've made attempts, but... uh, It's probably not worth going into them. No, it's it's odd because, again, it's 
kind of the opposite of uh, what you said earlier in that I grew up playing video games and I came to music very late and sort of through that. So my first interest in terms of pop music was the very sort of electronic sounds of uh, the early 1980s, sort of new wave, Gary Newman, Depeche Mode, New Order, that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. And it was only after that that I became interested in sort of more contemporary pop music, uh, as well as going further back into more traditional uh, rock type of sounds. If you were to call yourself a musician, what instrument might you play? It would probably be the keyboard, um, because, well, the synthesizer rather, because it's an instrument with such a great variety of sounds and also particularly suited to creating songs, a very sort of simple repetitions of the same thing, but that interlock in a very layered manner, which is something I find very interesting in music, when you've got very, very simple elements and sort of small loops and small rhythmic ticks, which combine to make something which, despite being at a basic level very repetitive, sustains itself and grows over the course of three or four or five minutes. I imagine synths and keyboards, uh, I I feel like those are well-suited to computer-minded people as well because you can do so much with it. My dissertation was in fact uh, on the subject of a programming language which was designed to be used for controlling sound devices. Do you want to say anything more about quizzing at all? I mean, how how do you kind of scratch that itch these days? What kinds of uh, quizzing are you doing? So I do um, quizzing uh, at the sort of circuit level. So me and a couple of friends, uh, not the people who were with me on the TV show, um, go to various college bowl-like things, but for an open audience, which again, I think is something very much from American culture. There's a big quiz there called the Chicago Open, and a couple of teams from US universities do come over and play against us and usually beat us quite handily. Really? Very seriously over there, is my understanding. Not that that we don't also take it seriously, but it's almost scary how much uh, some people know, even about, as you say, British things. There'll be a question coming up about some particular part of the War of the Roses or whatever, and uh, you'll sit back and think, all right, well, we'll probably get this one before they do. And then it turns out that no, uh, the somewhat meek-looking Illinoisians, (laughs) is that the right word? Sure. (laughs) Are in fact an expert on 15th century Yorkshire. Oh my God. Quite disappointing in a number of ways. Exactly, exactly. How do you consume your knowledge? Are you a reader? Are you? Do you listen to podcasts? To, how do you consume all of that information? It mostly comes from reading a lot, but it also helps to have gone to a university where I made sort of friends with a number of people in different fields who are always willing to talk at length about the things they know and the things they've learned. Uh, especially humanities students, I found. Well, do you want to talk about some of your favorite music? Do you want to share some some songs with us that are meaningful to you in some way, shape, or form? Okay. So, um, yes, in, in no particular order. Um, it's quite a recent song, this. Uh, Rather Be by Clean Bandit. We're a thousand miles from 
It's an interesting one because it's a combination of a sort of electronic and classical sound that's very much that band's gimmick and I think this is a song which it works particularly well. It's one where I didn't quite like it at first listen but it actually grew on me uh, as a result of discovering they went to my university and in an odd sense that made it very easy to relate to them you know as a sort of sometime frustrated musician seeing someone not much older than me who had just done more or less the same thing with their life as I had so far go on to success like that seemed uh, speci oddly specifically touching with every step we take Kyoto to the base strolling so casually we're different and the same gave you another name switch up the batteries how did you find out about them uh, well I was rather late coming to it and they had just reached number one on our national singles charts What else do you have on your list? So, um, a song from uh, a bit older than that, 1996, um, Your Woman by White Town. Again, it was a, a number one hit over here. Uh, I think it made some inroads in the US as well. This is an example of the sort of song built on a very repetitive uh, sample in this case. It's a trumpet sample of a song from the 1920s called My Woman. It sounds a bit like the Star Wars fanfare, which I believe was some of its novelty about it. But again, despite being built on this very basic looping sample and some sort of fairly simple electronic sounds, the way that it propels and builds, and especially the use of dynamics and tempo. There's a wonderful bit at the end where the whole song slows down in a way that's very much like some sort of old creaking machine grinding to a halt, as if it just simply can't keep going anymore. Which is fascinating to my ears. Yeah, you know, dynamics and tempo changes aren't all that common in pop music, you know, because I think so much pop music is intended to be consumed, you know, like in the car or on on your way somewhere on a train or podcasting or in some way, shape or form. And Yes, it's odd that um, one of the reasons I've tried recently to get more into classical music, but I find quite a lot of pieces... Um, because my brain is so used to pop music, I've got a sort of fundamental disconnect with the sort of things they're attempting to do. So the fact that there tend to be uh, longer periods of silence that I'm comfortable with from pop music, the fact that tempo uh, changes more than I'm used to.
There is actually a piece of classical music, though, modern classical music, that I'm going to mention now, which is uh, the first Junopidi by Eric Satie. which is, again, it's sort of quite quiet for the most part. And there are periods of silence. It's not really a sort of busy electronic song, but um, I find it a lot easier to understand because of the sort of link with modern ambient music and modern soundtrack music. It sounds quite a lot like uh, it inspired Koji Kondo's work on Ocarina of Time, I think. Definitely. And Satie, you'll hear in so many uh, modern composers' works, and even, you know, composers from the middle of the last century, is so influential. And those pieces are just absolutely beautiful And that uh, one of the things I like about them is how he uses dissonance in them and how he just will kind of crunch intervals close together but have this wide open space as well it's just it's very beautiful i like what it does to my ears you know Yes, beautiful is definitely the word for it. And I find it sort of quite astonishing how evocative is something so, at a very superficial level, simple can be. Another instrumental piece, although slightly uh, less relaxing, uh, Telstar by the Tornadoes. from the 1960s. It's an early production by a man called Joe Meek, who produced a lot of very bizarre sounding records from that era, um, in that he seems like he should have been some eccentric figure from the 1970s or 80s. You know, he was building instruments by himself and uh, producing drum sounds by getting loads of people stamping on the floor together. Star in particular is a blaringly electronic uh, sort of fanfare, um, which named after the satellite which had recently gone up. It was, in a certain sense, a cheap cash in. (laughs) 
but it sounds like a, a delightfully optimistic vision of the future. It's the, the sort of uh, 1950s vision of a future in which technology has led to everyone being at peace and uh, flying cars and postcards and even if it's a little bittersweet for that reason, uh, I still find it very resonant. So tell me how you discovered that particular piece. Oh, I'm, I'm afraid to say it's another one which was a, a big hit in its uh, native era. And it seems like a particularly easy way to start with um, listening to music from before one's time uh, is to see what it was that most people liked back then. And while with reasonable frequency, it turns out what they liked was something rather shallow and gimmicky by someone who just happened to be famous at the time. Uh, one of the largest records of the 1960s, you know, a time when we would like to imagine it was all about uh, experimentation and blues and rock and early pop, was a uh, rather crassly sentimental ballad by an entertainer named Ken Dodd, more famous as a comedian with a feather duster. Tears for souvenirs are all you rather a difficult decision compiling one of these lists simply because uh, I'm one of those people where my tastes change from day to day and it's very difficult to get a consistent answer out of me. <laughs> the, the song I'd like to mention is called Atomic by a band called Helen Love. Uh, they're a Welsh band. And it's from uh, an album from a couple of years ago, which was written during the uh, economic downturn. And I think it has a very, the album itself, Deglo Dreams, uh, has a sort of very poignant message of what it's like living in a, a small town that's faced with this sort of decline, especially in the United Kingdom, which is very, very centralised around a few big cities, especially London, in a way which the United States isn't. Uh, it's so easy to feel neglected in places like Scotland and Wales, um, places that have a very strong history and culture of their own. Uh, Atomic is a song which sort of takes a more metaphorical look at that. It's about uh, a young couple growing up in a town where for some reason it is disapproved of that they are together and it constructs a sort of fantasy of escape. is both sort of an escape, an escape from the disapproval of the community they find themselves in and an escape from small town life in this sort of rather stultifying way but with an acknowledgement that it's not necessarily the fault of the people there so much as a sort of wider societal problem.
thrilled to say that I have not, well, I don't mean thrilled as in, yay, I've never heard of most of these songs, but I'm excited to hear these songs because I am unfamiliar with uh, all of them but the settee, and that sounds really fun to, to listen no. to all of those. <laughs> I understand what you mean. That sort of discovery is, uh, is one of my favorite moments. Tears have been my only consolation But tears can't mend a broken heart I must confess Let's forgive. Thanks for listening to episode 83 of Level with Emily Reese. You can find links to and about Only Connect at patreon.com slash level. And I'll include a link to Frederick Heath Wren's Twitter account there, too. I'm Emily Reese. Sam Keenan is our producer. Say hi, Sam. Goodbye. You can follow us on Twitter and Facebook at Level with Emily and learn more about us at levelwithemily.com. Made possible by Adam Selvage at Tiki Web Services and composer Brad Gentle. Level with Emily Reese is a production of June Media Incorporated. <laughs>